Before we get started with this week's episode, just a reminder that we will be running our first ever live show this November at Glebe Town Hall in Sydney. Head to earlyeducationshow.com forward slash live to find out more and book tickets. We'd love to see you there. Hello everyone, welcome to episode 48 of the Early Education Show. It's good to be back with you. I'm Liam. And I'm Lisa. Now, Leanne will be back next week, everyone. We can be, we can, we can promise that. We've got an episode ready to go, but um, we're going to do another, just a really quick one this week. I don't think we'll be keeping you too long. We wanted to um, have a quick chat about an article that, Lisa, you, you got published in the ABC uh, sort of online section. So congratulations. Well done. Thank you. So we thought it might be a good idea just to uh, have just look a bit. It's one that seems to have struck a little bit of a chord with a, a sort of a whole range of of people. So we'll obviously include a link in the show notes to the article, but it has the uh, sort of I guess uh, quite stark title of "Are Greedy Developers and Landlords Gouging Childcare Parents?" Did you get any say in the headline, Lisa? No, but I liked that. That's not a bad one. You want to click. So I might just quickly, before we leap into just you know, a bit of background and a bit of a discussion about the article, um, I might just read the first section so people have got a bit of an idea of, of what it's about. Property developers and landlords are inflating the cost of childcare and condemning children to spending their childhoods in crappy environments. And worse, they're getting government support to do it. Increasingly, whacking up a childcare centre is looking like a good option to the property developers of Australia, especially when the dominant narrative is of childcare scarcity. It's a pretty hard-hitting intro, Lisa. Yeah, I was angry at the time. <laughs> I can I can tell this reads like one of my cranky blog posts, except you got paid for it. Um, so, Lisa, look, uh, we, we, we sort of, I wouldn't say we skirted around the issue. We probably actually tackled it a few times head on in the podcast. But just in case, you know, people see this one's got less of a running length and, and then click on it and listen to it, as opposed to one of our regular long ranty episodes. Um, what was the sort of impetus for you to, to write this piece in, in the first place? Look, I've been doing, everyone knows that I'm very interested in the corporate um, world and I've been doing a bit of research over the past few years, some of it um, paid for academics, some of it just for my own interest um, and some of it um, I wrote a kind of a similar article for Community Childcare in Victoria for their roundtable publication where I was just looking at trends in corporate provision and the impact of corporate provision on childcare. But I also do a lot of research um, with local councils about supply and demand. And um, we're often coming up with a children's services section in council in a local government saying, you know, hey, we're really worried because the property guys around the corner really want to make money out of our childcare premises because they know you can. And so I I called it the ABC learning effect that because Eddie Groves had said, you know, childcare was a way to make money, more and more people were thinking that. And um, so a lot of councils started to charge or started to look at the private market as someone that could, you know, rent their um, their children's services from them for market rents. Or if, if um, they couldn't do that, then they'd demand, you know, market rents from community-based services that were renting premises. So community-based services 
um, were having to pay more and more in rents to, to match what they could get on the private market for it. So I just, and I just was thinking nobody's actually looking at what's happening here and nobody's putting this together in a way that people can see that when we look at corporate childcare, we're no longer just looking at the impact of G8 and Think, which are um, main two publicly listed corporate providers, but we're looking at the other ways people are making money out of. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so for I love that Lisa, they say thank you for taking an incredibly complex uh, sector and then finding another layer of complexity. So, you know, on behalf of those of us who follow it, you know, really, really, really appreciate that. So, you know, for those who haven't had a chance to read the article yet and, you know, this, this episode popping into their feed is the first time they're hearing about it, do you want to provide, you know, just a you know, sort of big headline summary of, I guess, what you think are the key issues that you're raising in the piece? Um, uh, yeah, okay. So, um because developers want to make money out of um, de- you know, developing a block of land into something, they look around and go, okay, I want to make a fast block on this block of land. What can we do to make money? I know we can throw up a block of apartment buildings, but, oh, God, everyone else is doing that. Oh, what about a childcare centre? I've heard that they make money. So they go and build a childcare centre. Then they go, okay, we've built this. Who do we sell it to? And there's two main buyers in the market. One's called Arena REIT and the other's called Folkestone Education Trust. And if I had a lot longer, I'd tell you about how both of those actually were part of um, the Eddie Groves kind of experience as well. But I won't go into that kind of detail. So they sell it to one of those um, organise one of those um, investment funds. Let's call it they're real estate investment funds, um, which are publicly listed on the stock market, and they go, okay, yep, we'll buy these um, childcare centres and we'll rent them out to someone. Who can we rent them out to? And invariably it's the big people like G8 or Guardian or um, uh, uh, some of the premium providers like All About Children. And they all kind of charge a lot of money along the way. So the real estate, um, you know, the developer makes a lot of money. He builds to the absolute maximum to get as many children as possible on that, that you know, block of land. And then um, he'll try and get the highest price from it from the real estate um, landlords. The landlords, you know, don't mind paying a high um, price because at the moment they're getting really good returns from leasing those to places like G8, etc. G8 are prepared to do things like sign leases where the rent automatically goes up um, every year and, you know, it might be a 10-year lease and where they're responsible for things like maintenance of the premises. And so all of that money that all of these organisations are paying has to be charged somewhere and it's, it goes up in higher, higher fees from parents. Now, you'd go, well, why would G8 pay an inflated amount of money for property? You know, like for childcare property, they still want to make money. Money, but the thing is, is the sort of money that organisations like G8 and Only About Children and 
all of those want to make. G8 wants to increase their share price. So for them, what's more important than anything is growth, growing of the, com- of the company. And so to do that, they don't necessarily have to – they have to be profitable, but they don't have to be profitable in the long term. They've just got to appear to be growing, appear to be bringing more places into their organisation. With the others, it's um, they're now all owned by what's called um, private equity um, firms, overseas multinational ones, that come in and take a company like Affinity or Only About Children, fix it up, make it a bit more profitable in the short term, um, yeah, get lots of people in because they've got these glowing, glossy um, buildings everywhere and then they'll on-sell it. So their interest is only a very short-term interest in education and care provision. And so essentially it inflates the cost of childcare properties because these people don't need to make money out of it for a long term, just a short term. Does that make sense or is it? Yeah, I think so. So I think, look, to and regular listeners of the podcast will know that, you know, macroeconomics is not my area. But I think one of the big things... (laughs) Well, you've, you've, you've... You've fooled everyone very well with this article because it, it's very clear what you're saying. But it, it is the big picture issue where we've got this, and it's been raging for decades now, basically since the market became involved in early childhood, 100 has a connection, that affordability is a big issue in the sector. So, And I think we often, in, in Australia, we reduce that argument down to organisations are charging too much. And and to be clear, you know, everyone operates in this market model, whether you're for-profit, not-for-profit, community-based, whatever, you have to charge. And at the end of the day, you can't make a loss. You have to make a profit and it's just, you know, how that money is then spent after that. But I, get, I think the, the, the point you're making is that there's then a, there's, there's a much bigger issue sitting behind that, which is actually contributing significantly to affordability, which is these the actual buildings themselves. So we're focused very much on what's happening directly in the centres and how much is being charged for that, uh, that the, the education and care taking place in there. But you're saying there's actually a whole other layer above that which just isn't being talked about and is contributing pretty significantly to why um, there's a, a huge affordability uh, issue in the sector. Absolutely. And look, I think these figures kind of like show a lot of it. Good Start, which inherited a lot of prom- premises that are owned by um, these two big landlords of childcare, own, uh, spend 67% of their income on staff and 19% on rent and property, right? So, you know, they're spending, you know, almost, what, um, that's 70, 90%, a bit under 90% on just of their income just on their staff and their rent and property expenses. Wow. G8, on the other hand, spends 57% on staff. So, obviously, they're not staffed at the same level as the Good Start services and only 12% on property, so they may be able to have negotiated better leases. Affinity spends 63% um, on staff and 15% on property. Now, Liam, you're intimately involved in a childcare organisation. Do you have any idea what your figures would be? 
Well, we've um, I mean, the ACT is probably not a fantastic example because a lot of the community service organisations have inherited um, basically uh, rent-free services, uh, yep. rent-free centres. So, but I, I wouldn't be able to give a figure, but obviously that 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 was a practice that's yeah, not in so place. Anymore. I yeah. would expect yeah, you'd probably be sitting somewhere like eighty percent on staff and maybe five percent on rent and property. Yeah, that's a but, rough. But um. The like, let me give you two really clear examples that have come across my desk. Right, one is that um, uh, someone sold a provider. I won't say the name of the provider, but they sold their properties, their childcare services to G Eight, and they sold them for like eighty million dollars. Yeah, which is you know for the number of properties they had, it was probably a reasonable price. But they kept hold of the actual land and and the, the actual centres and leased them to G8. And they're leasing them for something like $250,000 per year per property. Now, you would think for G8 that would be madness. Why wouldn't you buy the property as well? Why would you commit to continually paying rent to someone else? But that's the sort of thing that's happening more and more. The other one um, was someone was looking to, to buy a child or to lease a childcare property, you know, in an area, and they said that um, property devel- developers are building centres in their area at an average price of 1.6 to 2 million. And this is all in new suburbs where families are moving into them. And then they're on selling them to the investors, you know, the those two um, real estate companies, for anything up to four point five million, right? So there's a huge. They're making a huge um, uh, amount of money on their block of land, and then the um, the the centre has to go in and um, that rents those and has to. I think she worked it out as they're having to. Um, enrol fourteen dollars per per day at a daily fee of a hundred dollars just to pay the rent for those services, and so when rent becomes such a huge thing, when less and less services are like yours in free or you know much reduced rent premises or alternatively premises that they own, then it becomes a problem. And at the moment, the real estate for childcare properties is hot. So because they know that they can make, you know, a much bigger return, a yield of, oh, God, now I do sound like I know something about economics, but I think <laughs> it's a yield of about 5% a year on um, on a, you know, a childcare property then the competition to buy those childcare properties is really high. So you'll have two or three people out, um, you know, out bidding each other. It's between 5.25% and 7% yield. Um, so they'll be out bidding each other just to, to get the right to, you know, lease that property on a very long lease um, to a... Yeah, a childcare provider. Is one of the issues here as well, Lisa. This, so when the the jobs for families package, or as it's now called, just the childcare package, comes in in July 2018, 
uh, one of the key parts of it is a, um, a, a that they've pegged an average hourly fee. So they've, you know, someone sat down and said, look, this is the average uh, hourly fee for early childhood um, education in the sector. And it's uh, 11.55, isn't it? I keep, um, I should have brought it up in front of me, but I think it's $11.55 yep. per hour. Yep. Is one of the Except issues here... It will actually go up from there. Yeah, like, it's going to be like, indexed by yep. CPI. But um, I... Do you know, you know, from your research for this article, is this my, my assumption would be this would primarily be a significant issue in metro uh, areas, so in <coughs> um, in cities and in things like maybe particularly in the heart of you know Sydney and Melbourne. So, given that is, that's really going to make an issue for the hourly no. fee cap, you I don't know. No, so it's yes, it is an issue in those areas, and those areas will always. Um, because of the fixed cost, they'll, you know, like I found a childcare centre in Sydney that was charging $180 a day fees. That $11.55 isn't going to nearly cover that. And so those families will be paying a lot more out of pocket than someone paying $100 a day. But developers are doing this everywhere. So they're doing it out, you know, in... Country towns, they're building their childcare centres and then leasing it out. They may not be able to get quite the same rents, but they can still make a reasonable return on it and they know that childcare is good business. But they're also doing it in areas where it's not, they don't necessarily need a new childcare centre. But then families come in and they see the community-based childcare centre that's been there for 20 years or the flashy new one built by the developers, you know, um, uh, you know to a kind of a, a, an architectural plan and they go, okay, yeah, the new one looks pretty good. And so gradually you have some of the community-based services coming under higher yeah, like pressure. Mm. One of the other things that really interested me in your piece, Lisa, was you you talked about um, the, the the actual quality of the centres, so the impact on the the quality of the services themselves, and you particularly talk about you know obviously to maximise uh, maximise profits and maximise rent that we're we're basically sticking as close as possible to the minimum regulations for space. I mean, did you want to talk a little bit about that? And I don't know if you had a bit of an example of. Well, well, yeah, when you're when people are talking about the price per child that they can get, you know, like they talk about, you know, we can get $15,000 or a hundred, sorry, I, I haven't got those figures at the top of my head, but they, they talk about the price per child that they can lease this out at. And so, you know, if that means you build it to the absolute minimum space requirements of the regulations and the national quality standard, then you do. And I always say, remember that the national quality standard and the regulations were supposed to be minimum standards, but people have forgotten that along the way and thinks, oh, no, you know, any child can fit on, on, on you know, what is it, 3.25 square metres or 3.5 square metres. And so that's what they do. They're also beginning to build, um, one of the two of them is beginning to build a prefabricated um, childcare centre because they can get it up and get children in there more quickly, i.e. they get rent more quickly. And so they, like, they're beginning to look really bad. Some of them do, though, look, you know, like quite 
high quality in terms of finishes, etc., but not in terms of the things that we would normally say is high quality for children. So you'll have buildings in new suburbs that are right up to the boundaries of the property and some in areas where they should easily be able to have outdoor areas applying for exemptions for outdoor space. You've also got more and more buildings going up in um, in the city areas, especially in Sydney and Melbourne, because landlord developers like Meriton, etc., have caught on and said, yes, if we put a childcare centre in our property, it's um, it helps us sell the flats that we, you know, the apartments that we're selling, but it also helps put, um, uh, it helps. We can then keep the keep it rather than sell it, and again, um, you know, lease it off to one of these childcare investment companies, and uh, sorry, lease it off to one of these large childcare providers like G Eight. And so, what happens there is that it, you know, more and more childcare centres are being built in inner city apartment blocks with you know exemptions for outdoor space. And parents of new children, as we know, often don't know what's good quality and bad quality. So they go, oh, I can bring my child to work or, oh, I can put, we can go and move into that new apartment in the city. We work really close and our child can even go to childcare in the same building. And so we're getting more and more children now that are having their education and care experiences in office towers and a lot of them have exemptions from outdoor space. That's really taking preparation for future workforce participation too far. <laughs> yeah, precisely. That's a big problem. <laughs> Just get them in there, keep them in We there. may as well get them in the office blocks early. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, so... And, so the other thing with all of this too is that Big companies like to talk to big companies, like to work, like they all know how each other works. So, you know, it's quite simple for um, Ameriton to lease to a G8, but it's very hard for an individual provider who may only want to run the one company to deal with Ameriton because, you know, they don't have all those law sections in them that, you know, can do leases, et cetera, et cetera. And so gradually you find it's harder for individual providers to get access to a childcare property. It's more that, you know, the bigger people keep going. And, you know, I still think that um, there's elements of G8's operation that are slightly concerning the amount of money that they have um, on their books as goodwill um, is looking very similar to some other corporates of um, long ago. And now I think once again we could be getting in a situation where we're risking corporate failure. Mm, which we know will not end well. So um, so the article raises, I guess, a lot of a lot of it, it raises a lot of the issues and a lot of the questions about this practice. I mean, do you have any sort of thoughts about um, and we know that with anything to do with early childhood, it's really hard to come up with a solution because it's such a completely tangled mess that's sort of a problem with the whole market-based approach. But are there things you think uh, the government or communities need to be looking at to sort of address this issue? 
I don't think communities can be doing anything to be addressing it. I think governments can, but whether governments would or not is another issue. Um, because they like the, you know, certain governments like the free flow of market forces, they'd just say, we have nothing to do with the rents of childcare, therefore we can't do anything. But if governments capped, if governments didn't still were happy for private providers to, um, you know, to uh, operate in the education and care sphere, if they did it on a more licensed basis, so they said to those service private providers, you can provide education and care and this is the amount of profit that you can make out of doing this, that would put the cap on real estate owners and landlords and developers from being able to see it as a gold mine. You go on to any of these big companies, um, the real estate companies' websites, and they all talk about things like the Jobs for Families package as a uh, an absolute gold mine for their business because it gives certainty into the future. It means that fees will... Um, there'll be less pressure on fees, so therefore more chance to make more profits out of it. So even though the federal government has, um, you know, put a cap on on that amount per hour and so they think that'll put a downward pressure on fees, what happens once that downward pressure on fees meets a lease that has a, a 3% increase every year? Either the staffing has to be cut or the money has to come from somewhere else. And I think you'll find more and more, you know, corporate failure and more and more pressure on the government to increase fees, increase that amount year by year as providers find that their income is getting squeezed by the 10 or 20-year leases that they've had to be able to sign up to. Right. Lots to think about. And I suppose what, what's your take on the government being likely to act on any of this uh, <laughs> this advice to, to rein yeah. in this problem? No, no. <laughs> Not right. <laughs> All right. Lisa, fantastic. You know, congratulations again on getting the article up. It's great to see... Um, you know these these things being out there. I think we should just say as well. You know, if you're if you're a regular listener to the podcast, or you're just joining because you sort of saw this article and saw we were posting something about it, um, really important to, to read it, share share with your friends. Um, not just obviously to improve Lisa's ego, uh, but just it means that you know at the ABC see these are sort of articles are being debated and discussed and making a difference. They'll get more of them, whether they're directly from Lisa or from other early childhood people. So it is actually quite important to to be doing that kind of stuff. But um, that Lisa really appreciate you having a, just a quick chat about the piece. Thank you, Liam. No problem. We'll be back with a regular episode next week. So until and then, with Leanne, with and Leanne, Leanne, she'll be back, everyone. It won't just be the two of us. We might not even just talk next week, given yeah, she's got some yeah. catching up to do. <laughs> but until then, it's bye from me and from me. You have been listening to the Early Education Show, hosted by Lisa Bryant, Leanne Gibbs and Leah McNicholas and produced by Leah McNicholas. Find us online at earlyeducationshow.com and while you're there, it would be great if you could hit the Support the Show tab where you can become a patron of the show and support us for as little as $1 a month. We really appreciate it. Get in touch with us at earlyedushow at gmail.com 
or on Facebook and Twitter with the username Early Edu Show. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on the Apple Podcast Store. This really helps other people find the show. See you next time.